Today on Cross Defense, we see that post-millennialism is psychotic. To do so, we'll start by listening to a post-mill listener's suggestion that we read 1 Thessalonians 5.4 in light of other scripture passages. I quote my favorite living Lutheran theologian, and we're confronted with an unsettling observation that Marxists and post-millennialists are both progressives. The Anabaptists were communists, my friends, but Jesus, well, he repeatedly teaches that his kingdom is not of this world. It's all coming up right here, right now, on Cross Defense. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today on the show, we're going to dedicate our time to addressing a new Lutheran listener's comments. He's not a a new Lutheran listener. He's a new Lutheran who is a listener, and he's sent in some comments. <laughs> so we're going to address his comments about post-millennialism. So stick around to the end of the show to hear my entire response to our brother. Before we get into the show, let's start by talking about cross-defense itself. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, if you didn't know that, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul. And we aim to do it all with God's word I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church way out here in Ferndale, California, where, get this, <laughs> get this, my friends, even in a country highly influenced by Anabaptists, we still rightly reject the sad misinterpretation of what it means to be a part of the priesthood of all believers. And even though, even though there is a heritage of hippie communes here in Humboldt County, we will never, never advocate communism or polygamy for that matter. It's true. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> if during the show uh, you decide you want to send us your comments, your questions, or your biblical bits of brilliance, or is it your bits of biblical brilliance, however that goes, we'd love to hear from you, friend. So go to stmarksferndale.com. That's stmarksferndale.com slash contact s-t-m-a-r-k-s ferndale.com slash contact s-t-m-a-r-k-s ferndale.com slash contact and we'd love to hear whatever it is that you have to say drop us a line and if you want to share this show with a friend especially if that friend happens to listen to post-millennial teachers on YouTube or podcasts or wherever they get their theological training, which I wish was under a real flesh and blood pastor who was not post-millennial, we wouldn't mind if you share this show with them either. So go ahead and do that. Help us defend Christians with the cross of Christ. It is a good and edifying thing to do. Let's talk about spirit and soul today. Let's talk about heaven and earth today. Let's talk about the theology of the cross and the theology of glory and how all of that is connected to the chiliastic error of post-millennialism. And by virtue of necessity, I guess, the biblical accuracy of amillennialism. Why is this our topic today? Well, as I mentioned, we're addressing a new Lutheran's thoughts on post-millennialism, at least as we have them, and we don't have very much. JHM8075 says, so far I haven't seen a critique of post-mill that actually represents modern post-mill. And he says he's new to Lutheranism, 
and rightly requests that we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Yes, sir, absolutely. We want to do that all the time. So we have a full show today. Yeah, let's just get right into it. JHM8705, or whatever his name is, we're going to call him J from now on, prompts our conversation to start with 1 Thessalonians 5.4, saying let's use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And then he says, the thief in the night will only surprise unbelievers as we read in that passage. Okay, so the thief is only going to surprise unbelievers. This message if you're keeping track out there in the internet land, is regarding September 17th, no, 16th show, 2023, September 16th show, where we looked at Reverend Grabner's 10 points against a literal millennium. And our brother points out that today's advocates of post-mill eschatology don't hold to a literal 1,000 years. And I say, fantastic, we're making progress. Let's spend a little bit of time on this, though. Now, my favorite living Lutheran theologian, I oftentimes quote dead Lutheran theologians on this show, but my favorite living Lutheran theologian is Reverend Dr. David Scare from Concordia Theological Seminary out there in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And he says, while all parties during the Reformation agreed on Christ's visible return, the Anabaptists prepared for his return by trying to establish an earthly kingdom, much like we see the post-mill people doing today. Yeah, right? Yes. The basis of their failed social experiment is a false teaching called millennialism. Today, many, if not most, fundamentalists and so-called evangelicals are millennialists, believing that Christ will establish an earthly kingdom when he returns. The post-mill evangelicals of today's sort, they seem to be walking down this Anabaptist path driven by an idea that a golden age, if you will, of peace and prosperity will come about under Christianity's increasing influence across the world, which will suppress evil, while improving the social, economic, political, and cultural conditions of humanity. This is, this is the vision. This is the view. And this is why we hear guys like Doug Wilson or uh, Jeff Durbin, to name a couple famous ones off the top of my head, talking about why Christians get involved in politics at all or why they plant Christian schools or, or start new missions, things like this, why they live out their Christian lives. They call it an optimistic amillennialism, an optimistic view of the world. Things will get better, they say, and continue to get better before the eschaton, before the Lord's final end time coming. They seem to have a hard time understanding why anyone, any Christian, would want to keep the Lord's Great Commission in Matthew 28 apart from this millennial era of earthly rule. And as I understand that, as I study that, well, it smacks of two things. First of all, theology of glory. What kind of position 
Do they hold one that really speaks to our, our desire for glory, triumph, victory, that Christianity, a kingdom of Christians, will spread across this earth, this world, and, and take over, influence. Now, it may not be by the sword, traditionally, the way conquest is done, but it's going to be one of influence and one of, of taking over. And that's a glorious feat if there ever was one. So that sends up some red flags right away. Theology of glory. It also smacks of pessimism to me, not optimism. This doesn't seem like an optimistic view of the end. This seems like a very sad, pessimistic one. But in this way, post-millennialists, they're actually progressives, aren't they? And I've heard guys like Jeff Durbin talk about being progressive in their, in their spreading of the kingdom. It's progressing. The Marxists and the millennials, millennialists, not to be confused with the generation, are both on a march through history. They're both doing the work of bringing about a utopia, a perfect kingdom. They're both doers of the law. There is a reason, dear saints, there is a reason that the radical reformers, not the regular reformers, the radical reformers known as the Anabaptists, your predecessors to so-called evangelicals in, in this country in more ways than one, there's a reason they ended up taking over a city in Westphalia and establishing a communist government during the 16th century, purging the city of all infidels and declaring the advent of the millennium, wherein their peace and prosperity, it included polygamy, terror, all-around licentiousness. And it ended very, very badly, like all communes tend to do. Reverend Dr. David Scare acknowledges, as we all must, that among the millennialists, there is a wide range of views. And he says these views, diverse as they are, are sufficiently similar to the errors of the Reformation-era Anabaptists to be included in what we say in the Augsburg Confession, in our, in our confession's condemnation of others, quote-unquote, others who are now spreading Jewish opinions, which teach, that would be Kiliasm, millennialism, which teach that before the resurrection of the dead, saints and godly men will possess a worldly kingdom and annihilate all the godless. This is very much a Jewish teaching. And we see this played out even in the, the New Testament scriptures where we see the disciples wondering, is it now time, Lord? Now will you restore Jerusalem? Now will you restore Israel? Now, Lord, will, the, will your earthly kingdom, will it be inaugurated? We see this over and over again. The Jews were looking for a political Messiah, not the true Messiah. Now, to be clear, for your sake, Jay, as you said, you're new to the historic Orthodox faith. 
the view that the church can or will bring about a global Christian kingdom here on earth, as the modern post-mill teachers are optimistically pursuing, it's been rejected time and time again as a valid contender or a valid view of Scripture. All throughout church history, it's been dealt with. It's nothing new. Not even the modern version. Also disturbing, says Reverend Scare, is how millennialists apply Bible prophecies to world events, especially in Israel. Some desire to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. For Lutherans, any suggestion that the temple can be rebuilt is a denial that Christ is God's temple, to which we belong by faith. Hang on that for a minute, Jay, and all of you listening, that when we go down the road of concerning ourselves with the, the rebuilding of the earthly temple in Jerusalem, we are going away, we're going down that road and away from the road that says everything's fulfilled in Christ, that he is the temple. As he taught, tear down this temple and in three days I will build it up again. And there was confusion even there in the scriptures. It took 46 years to build this temple and you'll build it back in three days? And we get the, the editorial note that he was talking about his body. So let's not go down that Jewish error again. Let's not repristinate the same old mistakes. But let's have eyes that see as Jesus would teach us to see. And now, make sure you hear this too. Dr. Scare observes that the millennialist fascination with Israel, it's a denial that Christ has fulfilled both the prophecies and the content of the Old Testament. Our disagreement with millennialism is not about the interpretation of this or that particular Bible passage, but is based on an entirely different approach to the Scriptures. Christ is the content of Holy Scripture and our confessions do not allow for the fulfillment of Scripture outside of him. Let me repeat that last sentence. It's a big one. It's important. It doesn't matter what sort of millennialist we're talking about, pre, post, whatever. We hold, over here in the historic apostolic Orthodox Church camp, we hold that Christ is the content of Holy Scripture. And our confessions do not allow for us, as Lutherans, our confessions do not allow for the fulfillment of Scripture outside of Jesus. We stand on Jesus alone. He is the fulfillment of all of Scripture's prophecy. This is where our rub lies with the post-mill evangelicals, all of whom, if you haven't noticed this, they all seem to be lapsed premillennial dispensationalists or recovering premillennial dispensationalists, and it's like they haven't fully recovered. They've only gone halfway. Isn't that weird? I find it to be very weird that most of your post-mill guys actually started out pre-mill. And if you give any of their videos on YouTube a watch, You'll hear another resounding theme 
They were pre-mill. They came into the church under the era of Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins and the Left Behind series. So they started with really bad theology to begin with. And they've graduated from that really bad theology to maybe slightly less bad theology. At least they're getting there. But they're not fully breaking free from the natural man's misreading of the text. Kiliasm is the same no matter how you slice it. It's all an invention of natural man. It's us trying to make sense of Scripture from an earthly perspective. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we do, let's take a break. Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to Cross Defense, and we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Cross Defense in service to our new brother, JHM8075, and everyone else that's listening. Let's consider Jay's comment. He's saying, I think, and Jay, you can always write in and tell me if I got this right or if I missed the mark or something, but I think Jay's saying with his citation of 1 Thessalonians that Christians will know the day of the Lord's return. So let's read that passage in context and see if he's right. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Does this mean, as Jay says, that the Lord's coming will only surprise unbelievers? We're not in darkness, so we're told we we won't be surprised by the Lord's sudden coming. The children of the day are awake, and, and we're not sleeping so as to be surprised. True enough. Great and good. Like it. Well, now let's let Scripture interpret Scripture, just as Jay says. What does Matthew 24 say? 
Let's start at verse 36 and read through 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what's the lesson from both Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 5? Perhaps we could let another Bible verse supply the short answer. We like short answers. Are you familiar with Psalm 90, verse 12? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And how about verse 13 to go with it? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. So yeah, we like short answers, but short answers don't take up the full length of the show. And we have a lot of the show left. So how about the longer version? Absolutely, let's get into it. As we were reading that First Thessalonians passage, what's the context there? What's the, what's the uh, political climate that the church is enduring? It's, things are getting rough. Things are getting harder. There's, there's persecution and there's trial and there is endurance and, and all of this. And the Lord is, is saying to encourage one another, to build one another up. I, br- I bring this up kind of as a side note because we're not really going to make this the focus. But, but does this sound at all like an optimistic view of how the, the church is going to slowly take over the whole world and everything's going to be fine and hunky-dory? No, not really. It kind of sounds like we need to be uh, encouraged we need to have the Lord and his people constantly reminding us that even though things seem like they're getting bad and things are getting worse and, and things are suffering, we're suffering, that things are getting hard, that it's going to be okay in the end. But the Lord is good for his word. So that's just a, a slight little side note as we think about the view of the post-millennial types that see this, this golden era, the millennium is not a, a literal thousand years, but it's this golden era where the church will, will take over the world and, and pretty much you'll have this, this global establishment of Christendom, this Christian uh, ideology. That's not really what they're, they're experiencing in Thessalonians, is it? That's not where we're getting scripture that teaches us to, to endure even to the end. When you read Revelation, you read the letters of the churches, We see over and over again, there's a lot of persecution already happening, and they're constantly being reminded to stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. I imagine, just off the top of my head again, that it would be pretty easy to stay faithful on that kind of a level if you're constantly seeing that you're winning the culture war, yeah? Okay, so enough of that. Just something to think about, Jay. 
What, dear saints, let me ask you this for our longer answer for the rest of the show. What, dear saints, is the difference between spirit and soul? Yeah. Yeah, spirit and soul. In the Greek, we have two different words here, and they have to do with with the orientation of one's focus. Is it heavenly or earthly? Now, spirit is pneuma, as in pneumatic, right? Pneumatic. Uh, and soul is suke, or more commonly for us English speakers, it's, it's the word that gives us psyche, psychology, psychotic. And these are the terms for what we sometimes call our heart or our mind, our, our incorporeal being, that inner being within. Inner being within? Yeah, that thing. Having been baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, we are, we are Holy Spirit people, Holy Pneuma people, spiritual, pneumatic. As a spiritual people, we gather together as Christians, and we hear God's word preached and taught by our pastors, right? And these men, well, they're, they're called to guide us with spiritual wisdom, pneumatic wisdom, counseling us, helping us through life with, with both God's law and gospel, counseling us with the word of truth. It's all very spiritual, very pneumatic, very heavenward focused, just as we hear of St. John in the beginning of Revelation. We're in chapter 1, verse 10. I was in Numa, spirit, on the Lord's day, on Sunday. <laughs> on Sunday, John was focused on heavenly things, meditating and thinking on heavenly things. Just as happens to you, right? every single week in the divine service as your your orientation is, is shifted back to heavenly things. You've been out in the world for the week and the devil's been working on you and he's been getting you to think about things in that earthly perspective. He's been causing anxiety to, to well up in your heart to worry about where your next meal's coming from or your paycheck or the gas prices or the economy, thanks Bidenomics, all that. And then you come back to church and you're reoriented toward the greater reality. You're reoriented toward Jesus on the cross, your salvation, that you have been baptized into Christ, that you do have the holy pneuma within you. So today, though, today, who gives us our counsel? I mean, maybe for us Christians, it's still the pastor, but generally speaking, Let's say you're 13 years old and, and your TikTok and Instagram feeds have, have made you feel like even though you have a penis, you might actually be a girl inside. So, so what do the progressives tell us to do here? They say, well, I think you should go see a therapist. Someone who will, who will give you guidance and, and help you make sense of things in this life, yeah? And now, the question is, does, does this counselor... Does, does she work from a, a pneumatic, spiritual position? No. No, she doesn't. She's coming at your problem from the field that was pioneered by, by God-hating academics with carnal desires and minds. What field is that, dear saints? That's right. 
psychology. She's coming at it from a place of the psyche. Now, you think of it as dealing with your mind, and it does from a decidedly earthly materialist orientation deal with your brain and your your cognitive abilities your thought processes and and things that belong to your your earthly person and your earthly concerns which indeed include your emotions and things like this psyche for us christians with a biblical worldview is is actually better rendered soul than mind Psyche is the soul aspect, soul version of your inner being, as opposed to the spiritual aspect or version. I'm drawing blanks on better terms here, but you get the idea. It's it's the, the soul version or the spiritual version of the incorporeal part of you. Make sense? I hope it's clear as mud. Now, you've heard people say, that they're spiritual but not religious. Well, I contend that we should actually say I'm spiritual but not psychotic. I'm guided by thoughts that focus on the heavenly kingdom, pneuma, heavenly spiritual things, which is to say I'm a child of the day, walking by the light of Christ, as per 1 Thessalonians 5.4. As opposed to the blind leading the blind in the darkness of earthly mindedness. Again, bringing in that 1 Thessalonians language. Psyche and psychology and psychiatry and, and all of this mental therapy without God is the blind leading the blind. Okay, so now let's look at 1 Corinthians 2. And Jay. As we go through this text, pay attention to what will happen to the rulers of this age who do not understand the mysterious and the hidden wisdom of God that is grasped through the spiritual revelation of Christ crucified, which is to say, as the Lord declares in John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a mysterious and hidden wisdom, a sacramental and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, 
What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed, he's, he's apocalypsed to us through the pneuma, spirit. For the pneuma searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the pneuma of that person, the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one knows, comprehends the thoughts of God except the pneuma of God. Now we have received not the pneuma of the world, but the spirit, the pneuma, who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the pneuma, interpreting pneumatic truths, spiritual truths, to those who are spiritual, pneumatic. The natural person, the psychotic person, the the psyche person does not accept the things of the pneuma, the pneumatos of God, the spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually, pneumatically discerned. The spiritual person, the pneumatic person, discerns, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. With that, brothers, let's take a break. We'll come right back for the last segment of today's show. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We see the difference between spirit and soul, pneuma and psyche at play all over Paul's epistles. Perhaps most demonstrably for our purposes today is Galatians 5, where we read in verse 16, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, to be clear, Paul does not say the desires of the psyche. And there's reasons for that. We could go into that, but that's a whole other show. Instead, he uses, I would argue, a clearer term for this this division, this dichotomy, and that is between spirit, heavenly-focused things, and flesh, earthly-focused, where we might find the word psyche, but this is even more powerful. The point being made is the same with one word or the other. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the pneuma, the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And what does he say there in verse 25? 
Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The pneuma. Get the concept? Okay, now, Jay, we're going to take a look at Luke 12. With all of this, the Spirit, pneuma, psyche, soul language in our mind. Spirit, soul, okay? Keep this in mind because it does all relate to and pertain to our understanding of the eschatological views out there, post-mill versus a-mill. Here we read, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling over one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, First, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Or said another way, it's psychotic to be short-sighted, concerning yourself with the flesh, this world, the earthly things, as if that's the end-all, be-all of the whole story. Rather, be mindful of the greater thing, which is spiritual. Don't be so worried about what's going on in this earthly realm that you forgo putting your fear where it belongs. In him who not only can kill your body, but also can cast your spirit into hell. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the holy pneuma will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the holy pneuma will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, all throughout this text, we're being schooled, guys, on pneuma and psyche. Do you see the play? Do you see we have the spiritual, that is the heavenly-focused, godly-focused, Holy Spirit-focused side of things, and you have the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, the, the earthly, human side of things, the, this side of things, the psyche. It's all right here, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's only intensifying. We continue. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide 
the inheritance with me. Ha <laughs> an earthly-minded issue, psyche, not pneuma. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life. And here, and here the word life, just so you know, the word life is Zoe. And this is important for the next time we get the word life. It's not going to be Zoe. It's going to be psyche. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, earthly-minded things, psychotic things, psyche. And he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for... I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, which is Psyche, yeah? Psyche, you have ample goods laid up for many years. That is, uh, earthly-minded me, you have many goods laid up to take care of your earthly needs for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul, your psyche is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the one who who thinks in earthly terms and is not thinking of heavenly-focused things, who's not rich in God. See the play between Numa and Psyche? And Jesus said this to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. And now here, life, it's not the word zoe, but Psyche. Don't be anxious about your soul, your psyche, earthly-minded things, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life, again, not, not Zoe, but soul, psyche. For psyche is more than food. Your concern for earthly things, your, your, uh, your inner being on this side of things is more than just about food, and, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, well, then why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In all his glory. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, this earthly grass, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. 
for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. J, friend, brother, Lutheran brother, how does this square with that optimistic view that the post-mill guys have that, that takes their, their focus and makes it all about earthly things? It takes their, their, their treasure and it puts it here on earth. Who literally talk, I've heard them say in their videos that they are investing in this world as a means of accessing the treasure of Christ's kingdom in the next in the after he's returned they are literally saying it's all about the earthly things right now natural man my friend has a non-stop desire throughout all of human history to pursue an earthly kingdom first samuel 8 the israelites wanted a, a king like the rest of the nations tell me the post mill don't want a king like the rest of the world, because that's all we can grasp. And even though natural man is dead set on pursuing this earthly prosperity gospel, glorious gospel, the Lord's constant, constant rejoinder is that his kingdom is not of this world. He can't get it through our thick heads. We are numbskulls who just can't get the point. The first Thessalonians passage, five, chapter five, that speaks of our being children of the light, right? It's related to all of this as well, as you've heard, I'm sure, no doubt. First John three, one to two, it's helpful in all of this as well. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not, not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Good old post-millennialism it's nothing more than God's children trying to calculate, think like those who are still in the darkness rather than like the children of the day they are. It's Christianity that's suffering from a psychotic break. Meanwhile, amillennialism, it maintains a spiritual, pneumatic mind about the kingdom of the Lord using the light of Christ to learn thing, things about Christ's kingdom. It's not trying to think like the blind in the dark. 
and, and make it work toward our earthly understanding of things, which is what we're always trying to do. We're always trying to bring down God into our understanding. And Jesus is constantly saying, you guys are idiots. Fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. Luke 12, 35. And we're back to our full circle to our Thessalonians passage. With minds equipped in the word of God. Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, at an hour he doesn't know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Oh. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. The cross, yeah? Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? Post mill guy? Do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And with that, what else is there to say except for 
so much for optimistic post-millennialism. Jay, brother, it would be psychotic of me to suggest that during this past hour, I've completely refuted the post-mill view that you're familiar with from your background. I, I recognize that. But Jay, it seems like every American evangelical has his own version of chiliasm. And, and I don't know nothing about the one that you're familiar with, but I think it's pretty plain to see that sp Scripture speaks for itself. And we can, at the very least, begin to see how what they call their optimistic view is really just another sort of theology of glory in opposition to the Christian theology of the cross that divides. The Messiah has come, and from now on, division enters households. How easily, my friend, we are lured away by the thought of earthly victory and triumph and a political Messiah with a human throne where he reigns like all the other kings of the nations that we can relate to. Take a look at that First Samuel 8 passage. It's what we've always done. My hope for today's show, for you, Jay, and for everybody else listening, is that it equipped your mind as you continue to come further and further into orthodoxy and as all of us continue to guard ourselves against the ever-popular but erroneous evangelical views in the Western world. My hope is that the spiritual truth revealed in Scripture will shape your mind in pneumatic thinking, spiritual thinking, away from the psychotic, away from the, the psyche, the, the soul that, that wants to build storehouses and barns and things where his treasure is on this side of things. Rather than focusing on, on evangelizing, not for the sake of, of investing in, in this earth for the next one, but, but for the sake of the soul that you're evangelizing, for the sake of the people who do not know the gospel, that they would live not in this place gloriously, but with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. May the Holy Spirit keep the cross of Christ ever before your eyes, my friend. That nothing would distract you from, from where your treasure truly lies. And that is with your crucified and resurrected Lord. Amen? Amen. And, well, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.